I said good day, sir. You don't ever plan anything around the eagles because the eagles represent the grace of God. Okay. You heathen bastards. What a vanilla nebbish name. Well, you know, orcs are people too. I'm thinking of that one cult that got taken out with one punch. So he's got a wall, a gall, a gall, and a wall. Every time you mention the eagles, I think Don Henley. Geek History of Time, where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher here in Northern California. And uh, in news I'm really excited about, uh, just in the last few days, we've been seeing uh, new new stuff being revealed uh, in regard to new releases for Warhammer 40,000 which uh, longtime listeners to the show will know that this is like all my thing and not Damien's. Um, but uh, my, my first army that I ever actually like fully painted up on my own and played uh, was a craft world Eldar army. So think space elves. Okay. Uh, asshole space elves, uh, but not evil space elves. There's a difference. Um, and, uh, they have been languishing with old models since the turn of the century, basically for, for several editions of the game. Uh, and, uh, it has just been revealed in the last few days, uh, that, uh, they, they're going to be getting some new models that are absolutely hot, like uh, absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I'm, I'm just way too excited to be able to, uh, now that I'm a homeowner, uh, once, once our, our office is in a condition where I can get my desk in there, um, I'm looking forward to actually being able to, to get to work on some of these models in, you know, sometime in the not too terribly distant future. So that's, that's my big nerd news. Who are you and what have you got going on? I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin and drama. And at some point in the far flung future, that is anytime after this week is the far flung future, but I'm hoping starting next year, I'll be back to being a history teacher as well. Uh, Yay. So uh, knock on the wood. Um, There we go. Uh, (laughs) Of course. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I've got that uh, hopefully to look forward to. Fingers crossed. Um, as far as what I've got going on, also miniatures based. Uh, my daughter has discovered Hero Forge. Uh, oh, and you're so, in trouble. <laughs> oh, it's awesome because it's only something I let her do with me. So we have to okay. have a computer together. All right. Um, and we're making all the characters from the adventure that we finished. So, nice. yeah. And I told her, I said, here's the specs for, for the NPC, the paladin who, you know, who became the captain of the guard, who you had to fight and all that. And mm-hmm. who's actually your friend yeah. and you rescued him. Um, so she made him and I was like, OK, I think also the color of the kingdom that he was serving was this. And so she went back and made that. And so she's really enjoying doing that. Um, Very cool. And, and my son, as of this recording, is going to be in a couple days. So. By the time this releases, we're probably a few weeks past it, uh, but also there'll be another one coming up. Uh, we're actually going to have a fully masked, everybody's double vaxxed, uh, eating outdoors only 
uh, he's going to have friends over for the first time, literally in his life. Um, and he's super stoked about it. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. that's awesome. It is. That is, and, that is a big fucking deal. That's and very, I, very cool. I was looking at it and the friends that he has made, um, it is a who's who of kids that an atheist, it's kind of funny, is friends with. Um, okay. He's not a self-described atheist or anything, but he's been raised to know that there are gods by, by you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But like, you know, respectful. Yeah. Um, but uh, his his friends who were coming over are Muslim. So I had to talk to him about keeping halal. Okay. Uh, for their sake uh he's got another friend who uh the next time they all get together um is uh they said oh well we'll bring him over after church and and there were several references to god in their texts and i was like okay cool okay so, uh he's got you know uh, two out of the three um uh wow. religions right. and then i'm wondering if his other friend who's i'm not going to name names but it is the most wasp first name of a child that you could have so I'm, I'm wondering where he falls on the religious spectrum um but uh, it's 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 kind of funny uh but uh my son's gonna get to play video games maybe watch some movies he he asked me um for supplies so that he could cook for his friends um and then cool. he said do you think they'd want to cook with me uh i said well possibly but we should get some stuff done ahead of time he's like but i'd really like to share that with them and so it's just cool. it's it's really cool it's really neat so very cool that's yeah. awesome so i'm looking forward to seeing what that's like and and by the way speaking as the uh you know believer of mm -hmm. the two of us uh, uh -huh. the religious one as as much as that counts for anything uh between the two of us uh <laughs> the the answer uh to to you know having the most uh white bread first name mm -hmm. uh it's almost definitely uh presbyterian family okay good to know gonna 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 throw that one out there okay um either that or maybe maybe episcopalian but yeah, probably it... probably presbyterian oh wait no 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 could be mormon could uh be could mormon. be could be with the waspy ass name like yeah, that yeah yeah so We'll see, but, uh, yeah, uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward. They're yeah. they're all good pals. Uh, my son seems to really enjoy their company, and so I'll very cool. See how it all, yeah, how it yeah. all shakes out. So all right, good, good. So last time we talked, uh, yes. we did V for Vendetta. The yes, Redu. we did. Um, and so I was wondering if you'd had any chance to peruse any other comic books um, that <laughs> might be worth discussing. Ah, uh, yes. Oh. Um, cool. And, and here's the thing, um, V for Vendetta is an amazing work of, of ideology sure. that was very consciously a work of ideology. Mm. Like, like, uh, okay. Alan, Alan Moore specifically said, I was, I was writing this, you know, to be, to be a comparison of the two extremes right, of, you right. know, anarchism versus state authoritarianism fascism yeah and um after we after we discussed that and we talked about you know uh the differences between the movie and the, and the comic and like the changing context in the time between the comic and when the film came out mm -hmm. um after a day or two oh you know what would be cool would be if mm. we did a comic that got turned into a movie again we yeah. Do that next time. Yeah. That okay. would. Well, you know, remarkably enough, um, yeah. that's we're we're kind of going to do that again. 
Um, but but two two things kind of happened happened kind of at the same time. Are we going to do swamp thing? I wish because you said here's I wish. the thing. Yeah, so. no. Okay. Uh, well, then it could be a Fantastic Four then. Could also, be. but no. Um, we 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 had our our episodes about Viva Vendetta, uh-huh. and I was thinking about all of that. Mm-hmm. And then in my professional capacity as a warper of young minds, I mean as a history teacher. <laughs> Um, my sixth graders, uh, started their unit on ancient Greece. Oh, and of course the, the automatic dichotomy that has been taught in ancient history at the elementary, late elementary, early middle level since forever. Right. Uh, at least in the United States, I don't know if it's this way elsewhere in the world, but, but here in the U S the dichotomy we all grow up with is Athens being compared right. to Sparta, right? Um, for a variety of reasons, and um, and 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 I immediately started, you know, talk in in teaching my kids about the two city states. The way some of my students' eyes lit up, talking about the Spartans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It became very clear that many of them had prior knowledge on this subject. And the sad fact of it is their prior knowledge came from a comic book source. Now, anybody who listens to the show knows I'm not one to be down on comic books as a form of literature. But in this case, it's disappointing because the comic book in question is 300. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. I, I keep advertising that and then you don't deliver. Yeah, this is true. This is true. I do keep using that phrase, and and it is deceptive. And I apologize. Um, no, I don't. Um, <laughs> I I no, have no. I have a deep and unabashed mm-hmm. attraction to. I don't want to say love for, but I I really 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 got a kick out of three hundred. It was a fun movie. It's it's a fun movie on the surface. On on the surface, it's a fun movie. <laughs> yeah, it is visually orgasmic i mean like well, it's a like comic the, book in, color. in real life yeah i mean it the, really the job the job snyder did translating the comic to the screen i would say is comparable to and probably even truer than the adaptation of watchman to the screen which well, yeah yeah i would are, agree because watchman took liberties with the story yeah whereas yes yeah, yeah. Um, but, but there are, there are a lot of sequences in Watchmen that are, no, no, we're going to take the fucking panel structure. Yeah. Well, it's and, a and wonderful gonna, storyboard. And, and, and yeah, and, and we're going to, you know. we're going to recreate it with, with cuts, like, right. you know, right. this, this shot to this shot to this shot. And we're going to do the right. same repetition thing that, that they did in the book. And like, I mean, it's amazing, but, but Snyder's uh rendition of 300 is like no no i'm i'm going to take the comic book and i'm going to put that on the screen and it's mm-hmm. going to have the same oversaturation like like monochrome you know two tones on the page yeah, yeah. you know kind of amazing Static like visual positioning yeah i mean and yeah. scene yeah yeah i mean just just absolutely it's it's a it's a thrilling visual work yeah and the legend of 300 is a 
so stirring, wonderful story. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a propulsive myth. I mean, yeah. it's it's amazing. Yeah. The problem is that um, Miller is wrong. <laughs> Like, and there we like, have our thesis. <laughs> like, like, like from 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 a from a historical standpoint. Uh huh. Um, first off, Miller based his comic series, uh, which got turned into the graphic novel. Um, he based his comic series on Herodotus and the other legends that that had grown up around the battle. Right. Which which were colored by the politics of the individuals who wrote those stories down, um, and were sure. themselves themselves flawed. I mean, for example, and I'll I'll get into this in more detail. But Herodotus and I didn't write down the name of the other ancient source, but the the other major the source cities? from from the ancient no um, a name I didn't recognize. Oh, okay. Like like another, um, but but the 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 main sources that other historians then built from mm -hmm. uh from from the ancient period uh both overestimated the size of the persian army by a factor of a hundred <laughs> i bet um you know herodotus wanted to say that it was an army of like four million uh marching from persia wow. across across macedon and I'll, I'll get into you know what what modern historians think the numbers were like later uh, it, I mean, it was still by the by the standard of the day. It was. It might as well have been millions because it was the biggest army ever anybody had ever sure. fucking seen up to that point. But um, but anyway, oh, so those those was sources. Was it Theodorus? No, it was the Sicilian Cynic, Seneca. Somebody. Sorry to have interrupted. No, 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 no. We're we're both we're both. Historicity <laughs> nerds, like so like, yeah. like, like, Eddie, I gotta get a name. What was the source? Right. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Yeah. Um, but, but, so, so Miller, first off, Miller started with Herodotus, mm -hmm. who is, you know, in in Western tradition, is kind of the father of history, which is great sure. and all, but he's not always a reliable source. He's not a historian. He's not. <laughs> I, I love Livy, but he's not a historian. Yeah, I mean, not, by by, by any by any modern standard, they're yeah, just and I'm going to judge not. them by modern standards. Yeah, well, yeah, and, yeah. you know, and that's fair because uh, we're talking about scholarship. <laughs> so yes, but so and 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 then Miller, mm -hmm. for reasons that that I want to kind of try to tease out with you because I I kind of have my theories, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Mm -hmm. Like like we always do, I want to I want to spend some time, you know, contextualizing the comic book. Uh, in its time in history, and and kind of kind of figure out if you jive with me on on why I think he did this. Okay. But Miller then took Herodotus's stories and the legends that had grown up around the Spartans, and he then wound up taking those things and adding his own spin on them. Mm -hmm. And so what winds up happening is the comic book wound up being an ideological work. But the problem is, and, and this is a problem, like okay. if you're going to write an ideological work as, as a critic of history and as a, as, a, as a studier of these things, as a student of this stuff, mm -hmm. like by all means, write an ideological work. 
But if you're going to write it, know that that's what you're doing from the beginning, because if you're not doing and admit it, because if you don't do that from the beginning, you wind up distorting the picture you're trying to create without realizing it. Yeah. And two secondary teachers on a sixth rate podcast are going to come for you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Damn right. You better quake in your goddamn boots. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, okay. and, and, I'm gonna, and are you also going to talk about the movie? That's going to, I want to, I want to have that be part be of the there. discussion okay. when we talk about the context of the, of the comic book, because the thing is, now I'm going to get into starting with the comic. Um, sure. 300 was originally published uh, between May and September of 1998. Wow. That's late. Like yeah. most, most stuff gets turned into a movie that seems to have this kind of feel it's felt like it was from the eighties type stuff, like V yeah. for Vendetta, Watchmen, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess, you know, the Batmans, um, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but wow, you, that, that feels late. It is. It yeah. is. That's, that's part of what like struck me. I, I was expecting it to either be earlier or in retrospect, I was expecting it to be later. Right. I mean, as macho watcho as it is, <laughs> I, I expected it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It would not have shown up in the late nineties. Uh, 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 well, it's Frank Miller, and and we, we can talk about the foibles right. the creator yeah. here in a little bit. But so so, it was it was published originally in ninety eight, mm-hmm. um, and then ten years later the film came out. So there's 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 a couple yeah. of very important events that took place in the middle there that change that even though Snyder's movie Mm -hmm. is a literal shot for shot recreation of the comic, the cultural context surrounding it. Also the career context. Like, did you go into any detail on the director's career and his frustrations? Oh my God. He was so frustrated from like 2005, uh, actually about 2003 forward that he was like, fuck it. I'm not doing it like this anymore. Like uh, we are not going to take it. And he was telling studio, no, we're not going to take it. Zach Snyder, not D. Zach Snyder, not okay. D. Snyder. Fine. I got it twisted. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, sister. <laughs> so nice, by the way. Thank you. Uh, time check <laughs> on that. Uh, well, we were talking for a little while about Battletech prior to the recording. So let's say 15 minutes. Okay. I was Sorry. waiting for a good spot to put that in there, though. Like I've been sitting <laughs> yeah, on say, that for the last say... eight minutes. So <laughs> nicely done, nicely Thank done. Thank you. So, but but there were there were all several very notable events in in the real world that made oh, yeah. what exactly they were putting on the screen hit mm-hmm. differently than they did when the comic came out. Very true. And so I think the politics of the film. Well, we can talk about the difference. 100% informed by what was going on. Well, yeah, we're totally informed. But anyway, so so the comic book tells a version of the classical story of the Battle of Thermopylae. Mm -hmm. And Miller really focuses, his his viewpoint character is Leonidas I, the leader of the Spartan force. Right. That That is his main viewpoint character. And he really sets out to make Leonidas really the unalloyed hero of the piece Mm -hmm. okay and and i'm gonna i'm gonna get into why this is historically deeply iffy but anyway sure um and the whole book 
um, opens. And here's the deal. And and again, again, I there's so many things about the comic that I love. I absolutely mm-hmm. love. Miller is an amazingly talented storyteller when mm-hmm. he's not tripping over his own dick being a douchebag. Sure, sure. And and the opening structure of the comic mm-hmm. is absolutely brilliant because it it we see Leonidas remembering his own time in his what was called the Cryptea, which I'll talk about in detail when I get to into try actually like coming of age stuff, right? Yeah, it's it's yeah. coming of age, graduation from right, military right. school kind of thing. Sure. And he encounters this gigantic wolf. Mm-hmm. And it's really clear in 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 the comic, this is his recollection of it. Okay. And so and so the wolf is this demonic, huge, giant beast. It's the thing from the never ending story. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And and you know, and he he is clearly you know terrified but he overcomes it and he prevails and that metaphor of him as the boy facing this terrifying beast then gets is is that that is that is the the microcosm of right. then the battle of thermopylae it's it's right, this, it's right. this, it's this foreshadowing device and i mean like as a storytelling thing it's absolutely brilliant oh yeah and his art is as it always is it's it's incredibly compelling and propulsive and you yes. can't help but have some kind of visceral emotional reaction to right, it yeah i mean it's it's fucking amazing um and how he takes this wolf like and and basically it's this huge thing that's in front of him and by the time he's defeated it it's no thing yes so here's nothing yeah yeah so nice. tied what you had in yeah. the, the never-ending story reference nice nice thank you nice yeah. well done thanks I'm not not even mad about that one Yay. not even mad about that one yeah. so and he the... does it with his good strong hands <laughs> <laughs> okay now you're back to being mad yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah pissed. yeah good good day sir yes um so now within within the time that he wrote the comic right um this is oh i totally get it because in 98 um the year before titanic happened and the boat sank and he was upset that leo died and so now he's like so now he's he's in the in the early morning and now he's like no leo night ass I said good day. Uh, so, but he's he's he turns that well, he doesn't really have to turn it into he frames it right as a clash of civilization story. This yes. is this is a hundred percent um a story of a clash of civilizations, Persia representing this this totalitarian oriental despotic force. And the the free Spartans at once menacing and feminine too. Like there is. Oh, I'm going to get into that. Oh, good, good, good. Going to get into that. Um, And then Edward Said, paging Edward Said, (laughs) (laughs) and 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 the free Spartans, free Mm -hmm. Spartans, right? Are are (laughs) the the defenders free? Well, there's. I'll get into the nuances okay. there, but but the the Spartans as the defenders of Western values, who give right. their lives in in defense of the ideal of freedom and manliness, which is which is like a steaming pile of Reagan horse shit. Um, 
Which and yet it's ninety eight. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and and yeah. here's the thing. What so continue? I, I got to continue with my analysis yeah, before, yeah, yeah. because I don't want to get to the punchline too fast. But he also like turns it into this this this. There's this ethos of social Darwinist uber masculinity involved. Mm-hmm. Um, Xerxes is this heavily pierced androgynous giant. Literally. Literally. Yes. Literal, literal giant and, and piercings like, like the art. I don't know what point he's trying to, like, it's clear that he's going for this idea of incredible decadence and like power gone mad. There's and an too S&M much queen wealth. thing going on there. There is. Cause Probably, like oh, Leonidas well, yeah. takes the pain in a manly way. This guy clearly does it for kinky pleasure. Yeah. Leonidas's yeah. nipples are just as visible, but they're but, not pleasure devices. Yes. You know, they're yeah. they're weapons to use against the Persian. <laughs> cut glass with those things. Um, you know, it isn't so um and and I want to talk about the character of Ephialtes here. Um, is that the patch guy? Yeah, uh, no. Oh, Ephialtes okay. is the hunchback. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. now here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Ephialtes is part of the original history from Herodotus. It, it was, yeah. he, he is named as one of the figures who was suspected of right. being the one who sold the Greeks out to the Persians right. in return for payment and, you know, position of importance. Mm-hmm. Nobody, literally nobody had said word one about Ephialtes ever having been uh, uh, physically not abled in any way until Miller. Frank Miller is the first source to turn Ephialtes into a cripple. Is Frank and I'm, Miller And I'm using British. Frank Miller's language there. Sure. Is Frank Miller British or is he American? No, he's American. He's American. Okay. He's, he's because obnoxiously fucking American. He, yes. <laughs> yeah, actually, it sounds like it. Because um, <laughs> uh, it, it seems to me that he did. It, it's just there's this like revolving like Agra's planetarium kind of feel to this because Ephialtes gets morphed into a hunchback. Um, if you remember uh, Richard III. Yes. Um, he was famous for having a deformed uh, yeah. spine. Yeah. Um, and he gets morphed into an egg. Humpty hmm. Dumpty. Oh, um, I haven't heard that. Richard the third horse. Dumpty. Richard the herd's third's horse was called the wall. Okay. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, sat on a wall. Really? Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Nowhere is he mentioned as an egg. And yet when you think Humpty Dumpty, I guarantee you, you think an egg with trousers. Maybe. Well, yeah. Egg. Right. Because Never of an illustration an sometime in the 19th century, if I'm remembering right. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But so you took one hunchback okay. and turned him into an egg and you took another man and took him turned, and him. turned him into a hunchback. Yeah. So, okay. Yokes yeah. on him. Oh, uh, You get nothing, sir. <laughs> oh my God. We watched that movie just the other day. Yeah. And Julia turned to me and shot daggers from her eyes when he said, You get nothing. Good day, sir. And she's like, 
because <laughs> she knows you say that to me all the uh-huh. time. Oh yeah, <laughs> just about daily. Yep. Um, and so yeah, so so Effialtes is, is physically is, crippled. Is is physically crippled? He is a hunchback, but but it's not just the classical medieval idea of you know outward outward flaw to reflect inner right. character flaw he's twisted is, and you know, that's easy that's that's easy. that's easy mm-hmm. it goes beyond that in okay. miller's telling effialtes shows up saying you know uh my parents fled sparta because they couldn't kill me right i want to be one of you and leonidas basically tells him you uh, never yeah. could be one of us yeah go away cripple you can't carry a shield and then that drives Ephialtes to betray the spartans right so so wanting to be a spartan and being a cripple Mm -hmm. are inventions of frank miller attached to this historical character to serve an agenda Mm -hmm. but but like I'm not 100% sure what the agenda is and this is where I where I said what I said about having a conscious you know political viewpoint if you're going to write a, a work of of uh, political mm-hmm. philosophy you know be aware that you're doing it I don't think Miller realized that that's what he was doing I oh, think okay. He he want he's he's subconsciously trying to make a point about masculinity. He's subconsciously trying to make a point about the virtue of the Spartans as a society. Mm-hmm. And so it's not enough to have this Greek from a different tribe betray them. It has to be that this other Greek, because he's got to make the Spartans look even badder ass. Right. So like, no, this other guy wanted to be one of them, but he couldn't be because he just wasn't good enough. And so that drove him to betray them. Right. That, that certainly, you know, took, so I had a coworker who she's famous for just like kids these days, you know, that kind of yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah. which as a language teacher, I understand on some levels, cause I got to get them to the next level kind of thing. Yeah. As a teacher, I also certainly have seen kids over the last entirety of my career jump on the bar until administration lowers it (laughs) those things are true yes however uh her approach is like when she saw that she's like i really liked it because like there's just some people that just aren't going to make the mark and i'm like that's a lot harsher than we need to be in this world wow and and it also led to the ruination of the like did you miss the part where that rejection (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like you could have made him happy and given him the prime spot and served both your needs there yeah you wouldn't have gotten betrayed you would have had a very fleshy meat shield <laughs> but instead yes. you're like, instead no no you are not good you, enough right you're yeah. not good enough and i understand that because of how a phalanx works and all that kind of shit i get it um but at the same time yeah oh yeah so um, to me, I always saw that as Leonidas's uh, tragic inflexibility. That could be. Yeah. I mean, that's like to anybody who's not Frank Miller, I think. I. But but the deal is, right. everywhere else in the film and everywhere else in the comic, he's like jacking off to what a badass right and and what a what a paragon of of righteousness right and all things uh, manly and all things manly yeah. i also uh, never knew that uh, is 
was a real character in Herodotus' his history because I'd never yep. got to that part. Yep. Um, but uh, so I thought that yeah, I knew that they'd found goat paths and just found a way around. I didn't, you know, and I thought that was like a, a director's yeah. or a comic book artist's um, uh, convention. convention to, yeah, to show, oh, okay, this is because that adds drama to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't realize that he was a real character, much less you know. Hunchback or not. Yeah, no, um, he so, was in okay. fact, he was in fact a historical figure. And now the thing is, he's the one most often mentioned by sources and named as being the betrayer of the Greeks. Right. Um, he's not the only one. There are other candidates who might have been the one to sell him out, or it might have been a group of several of them who sold yeah. him out. Yeah. You know, as, as such things work historically. But, you know, that's that's the name that comes up most often. Sure. And so that's that's the deal is mm-hmm. um and and we're we're gonna kind of come back and forth to to talking about the the comic and talking about the 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 actual history of it here as we go along but the deal is there there is this incredible level of uh there, there's all this work mm-hmm. that miller goes to throughout the story and i'm going to get into more details more more specifics of it as we talk about it but there's all this water that miller carries for the spartans and so now i kind of want to talk for a second before we get into the to the history of that i want to try to think about where where is it other than just miller being himself a sexist douchebag what what is what was going on in the world that like this story occurred to this sexist douchebag at this time mm-hmm. now here's the deal 1998 it's the late clinton administration yep right mm-hmm. it's post the first gulf war right that was 92 91 91 91 yeah. into 92 right. and we are now in a post cold war kind of kind of situation it's also post um mogadishu and post rwanda this is true. So you're seeing uh, our hegemonic impotence, ultimately. Ooh, yeah, you know, okay. Yeah. So, so here's the deal. So we're seeing this decay of our of our power as lone superpower. Mm-hmm. We don't have, in in the popular imagination at the time, we were the lone superpower. We don't have the Soviets looming in the distance as this source of totalitarian threat anymore. Right. Now, um, the Dark Knight, you know, the, the, the opus that really made Miller famous originally mm-hmm. is very clearly a product of the Cold War. Like right. you, can, you, can, you can see, you know, uh, uh, Reagan. Well, it's lined up. You know, Batman. You've got good guy, bad guy. I mean, you've yeah, got oh, yeah, Batman. Yeah. You've got uh, Joker. You've got yeah. you know, yeah, you know, someone who represents order and someone who represents chaos. And in our zeitgeist at that time, absolutely, definitely yeah. a Cold War thing. So, so now we don't we don't have that dichotomy anymore. And right. so, and and we're by ninety eight, by the late nineties. We're starting to see in our own culture more acceptance of people who don't fit the Reaganite '80s mold of this is what you know stand-up Americans look like. Yeah, you know? I mean, in wrestling, 
I will tell you, uh, as I always do. Of course. Uh, but in, in wrestling, you've had got Hulk Hogan turned bad guy in 96, June of 96. You've got Goldberg is on the scene kicking ass with his big bald head and his super jack traps up to his ears. Um, and just, you know, three minute matches, just laying waste to everybody with the jackhammer. Um, yeah. Steve Austin is a scrappy, vicious, good guy fighting against his boss. He's always yeah. outnumbered. He's always fighting teaming hordes of people. Mm-hmm. So we got that. Um, and just before that, back if you go back to 96, 95, you mm-hmm. had one of the main bad guys being Goldust, who was androgynous, mm-hmm. um, who really pushed the homophobia button a lot. And you okay. had others, other heroes that were they're fading out of the comic book hero type wrestlers and into the more realistic and gritty heroes. And all of the ones who stuck around, they took on a more gritty thing. They were not as comic booky. Undertaker himself by 98 is much more while he goes with the demon Lord thing. He's also much more basic maneuvers. He's much less supernatural shit as more culty stuff. Like in wrestling, you've got a huge shift to away from comic book, hyper-masculine Hulk Hogan with the primary colors to gritty ass kickers wearing black trunks. Right. Yeah. Okay. And you've gotten away from a lot of the character-based stuff, and now it's much... Well, a lot of the comic book character-based stuff and much more of the personalized character-based stuff. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And that's happening from 96. Again, you got the NWO, a huge horde who's there to invade, by the way. Yeah. Um, You know, you've got all that. And laying waste to everybody. So you've got all that happening 96 to 98 as well. Okay. So so we're seeing mm-hmm. in 300 and in wrestling which is which we've established over the course of this podcast is a a bellwether for for the condition <laughs> of our of our uh dominant national subconscious. Yep. Um we we have this feeling of being overwhelmed. Mhm this feeling of control not being there anymore. Yeah. Um, And I think for somebody who likes to identify as a libertarian or a free thinker, but really solidly leans toward right wing, let's not kid about it, Reaganite kind of, kind of outlook on the world, like Frank Miller. Everybody who claims to lean libertarian <clears throat> tends that way. Yeah. Well, yes. Um, <laughs> but, but for, for somebody who, who has the leanings that like we've heard Frank Miller right. kind of express, um, I think he was writing this as a pushback against what he saw as the invasion this this is the beginning of pushback against pushback by conservatives against multiculturalism okay we need yeah. we need to cl- we need to cling to you know the virtues that the west is founded on kind of mm-hmm. stuff um and his incredibly hyper masculine idea of masculinity um, I think is a reaction to the the trends within dominant culture where the 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 dominant the majority of, of, of Americans were starting to come around 
important or we were moving toward a majority of Americans Mm -hmm. coming around to an acceptance of LGBTQ issues Mm -hmm. and to somebody who is the kind of person Frank Miller seems to be, that's a threat to masculinity. And so this is his payan. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. The, his, his, his epic poem in praise of mm-hmm. you know traditional uh you know uh hyper masculine values and you know violent warrior culture and all these kinds of things yeah i can see that i mean he also he was really famous for his work in daredevil obviously as well yes yes um and then if i recall correctly he wrote at least one robocop script not the first one but yeah. I think he did one of the sequels. Like we're talking some super masculine shit here. Like, oh, oh yeah. He wrote Daredevil, I think, with Chris Claremont. Like he, yes, yeah, um, was with Claremont. If I'm, yeah. yeah, no, I'm sorry. He wrote Wolverine. I, I mean, with Chris Claremont. I, I oh, think yeah. I said Daredevil. Yeah, you did say Daredevil. Okay, yeah. But he did do a lot of work on Daredevil because he, yeah. I think, created Elektra as a character and killed her. Uh, yes. Spoiler alert. Bullseye yeah. did it. Um, yeah, he he created her and killed her, and yeah. I think he was also the creator of Stick. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. And so, so I mean, like he's he, he's responsible for a lot of the a lot of the the lore surrounding that character for sure. Right, but like if you look at the the ways the 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 writing that he has done, it has been on fairly masculinized characters. Oh yeah, you know. So that was oh, always yeah. he was always is the word Kenning that way no it probably doesn't no. work that way keening, keening. keening. Was keening. he yeah. was friends with charles keating that's what i was okay. trying to say yeah yeah no uh but he was always keening that way um toward the hyper masculine so maybe yes i see yeah. what you're saying but also yeah. could it just be that like this has always finally, been who this guy is and he right and so he's just been packs of that yeah like we're seeing like his the okay frank go ahead give us what you really want to give us and he's like oh here we go all right yeah you know i think i think it could be that it's a little bit of a confluence of both okay yeah and again i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to the idea that he wrote an ideological work without understanding that that's what he was doing yeah um because what i have written down here what what i have written down here as my thesis and i think it's it's safe to to dig this out here is kind of the punchline before we move forward is my thesis is 300 is fascist but it's not consciously so it's <laughs> fascist it's fascist because it is consciously mm-hmm. culturally chauvinist homophobic toxically masculine <laughs> and ableist as fuck yes because frank miller is a brilliant douchebag and anti-oriental, I will say. Oh yeah, well, I'm, that's where I'm getting my culturally chauvinist. That's, oh okay, that's okay kind yeah, of yeah. you know. I you oh know. yeah yeah that makes sense. You're using yeah. yeah yeah Western values with a capital W yeah. kind of cultural hyper occidental. Yeah. Yes yes yeah. It is yeah. occidentally fascist. Yes yes there you go. <laughs> but aren't most fascists? Yes. Um, you know, I mean, it's kind of a thing. By the way, yeah, I'm. I'm and this is one of those, like, I'm always kind of upset by this fact every time I remember it. <laughs> Frank Miller. Yeah. And Mark Miller. Yeah. Come on. Like, <laughs> you know how easy it is to confuse these two guys? Oh, yeah. And yes. yet they're writing very different things. Oh, very. But like, you but, know, yeah. as soon as you're like, and he did this. And I'm like, and he did Civil War. I'm like, wait, no, wait, 
No. That was Mark Stop. Millar. Millar. Yeah. Yeah, not Millar. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. It's, it's like mixing yeah. up David Keith and Keith David. Yes. You know? That's a good analogy. Uh-huh. You're right. Yeah. That's Dude. not even the Bill Pullman, Bill Paxton thing. Oh. Like. like oh, shit. Yeah. I always I always wondered after Bill Paxton died if like hella people sent flowers to Bill Pullman's wife by accident. <laughs> that would suck if they did. It really that'd would be that'd be a real shame. He's like, honey, they did it again. They did it again. Yeah. So now the thing is, uh, and, and now I want to get into get into now, now that we've established all of that. Yeah. Um, I think in order to to flesh all of that out, mm-hmm. uh, we need to actually talk about the actual history of Sparta and Thermopylae. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Um, and now if we're going to talk about Thermopylae, we actually have to talk about Marathon first. Okay. And if we talk about Marathon, we actually have to start with the Persian conquest of Ionia in 547 BC. Do you mind working your own side of the street here? Like, <laughs> you know, I, okay. Okay. I see, cool. I see yeah. a trick that works. I'm going to, yeah, really, like, I'm yeah. going to steal it. So let's talk about a 1980s cartoon. Okay. <laughs> puppetry in the 1800s in france so <laughs> okay i'm gonna tell you about this play called ubu roy so <laughs> so so marathon uh-huh is is rooted the, the series of events that led to marathon is rooted mm-hmm. in the persian conquest of what had been a greek-speaking province ionia right uh in 547 bc mm-hmm. the persians conquered it yes in 499 bc um the alanis was more upset by this because it was a little too ionic nice i really do think oddly enough that one doesn't piss me off for some strange reason i don't know ironic that well right it was because he began his reign on his wedding day oh and uh, the thing was he could have assassinated his opponent but he only had ten thousand spoons yeah and he really needed that knife it's true So the Athenians backed a revolt by the Ionians in 499. Okay. I remember that from a sixth grade textbook somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Darius the first of Persia was pissed. Yes. Now there's also, there's also another, another kind of wrinkle to this story. It was because the goddess goddess Athena um, used a fish to signal to him uh, through her owl hooting in the blue blowfish for king darius i already said you get nothing right yeah it's true i, I went there okay. what are you gonna take from me now so i i <laughs> should have held that one back i should have yeah i should have but yeah. um so the, the athenians sent aid to, to the ionian rebellion now part of this this rivalry part of this this backing and forcing of of you know fuck you no fuck you right all right buddy i'm not your buddy guy i'm not your guy pal you know part of part of this backing and forcing between darius and the athenians um i i i heard the story but i i couldn't actually find a specific reference to this but there was a point mm-hmm. years before when the Athenians had actually gone to the governor of Ionia, so the, the tyrant appointed by Darius, okay, the Athenians had gone to this Persian official and said, hey, 
we're having trouble with one of our own who's causing trouble. We, we need help to put this guy down like the rabbit dog he is. Mm-hmm. And the Persian satrap said, okay, well, if you want our help, we need you to give us an offering. You know, part of, part of what you need to do is give us an offering of land and, and earth and water. Right. Earth and water. And uh, the Athenian delegation, the, the, the you know, uh, diplomats said, okay. Not here's, realizing here's what's going a on. jar of earth yeah. and here's a jar of water, whatever. And then the Persians went, okay, well, now you're our subjects. Wait, hold the fuck oh. up. No, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. No, no, that was, that was, that was diplomatic ritual. No, right. no, that was a ritual of submission. You're, you're ours now. So there's also <laughs> that layer of this going on. Um, and so in 490, mm-hmm. Darius sent a force to burn Athens to the ground and enslave the Athenians as a oh. message to like everybody that you, you don't, you're not going to fuck with me. You don't Welsh on these deals. Yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. And so then in 490 at Marathon, an Athenian army, primarily Athenian with, with a few other Greek allies. Right, right. Delivered a surprise defeat to a much larger Persian, Persian army. Right. By using terrain to their advantage and timing maneuver mm-hmm. uh, to take advantage of kind of, you know, being able to spot their moment and go on the offensive and, and utilizing concentration of force in the right place at the right time on the battle line. That's mm-hmm. a major simplification of all of the tactical yeah, 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 shit. That's fine. That, yeah. Like, but um, so, and, and, and the Athenians had this incredible victory. Mm-hmm. And um, the Spartans showed up to Athens a day after the battle was over. And they, think- had, mm-hmm. and they had to admit that the Athenians had won this incredible victory without them. Without them <laughs> and it chapped their asses. Okay. So now, now I've got to talk about why that why that was such a teeth grittingly infuriating thing for the Spartans. Sure. So Sparta as a city state had five ultimate rulers called E4s. Okay. E-P-H-O-R-S. E4s. Okay. Were okay. five of them. Each of them, they served for a year at a time. Uh, and they were dictators who could basically tell any of the other branches of Spartan government, uh, you know, fuck no. I, I'm vetoing that they could give orders to anybody, um, but they only served for one year at a time and they were elected each year by the assembly. Mm-hmm. going to get to the Spartan assembly in a minute. The Spartans had two Kings who were also selected by the assembly. Once you became King, you served for life. Mm-hmm. And the Kings were the military commanders of the Spartan people. So they were they okay. were the generals. They were the ultimate military commanders. Right. But it was the E force who declared war. Okay. Then the Spartans had a council of elders. You had to be over sixty years of age, uh, and they suggested laws. And then the assembly was made up of all citizens of Sparta over thirty, um, and they elected the ephors every year. They elected the kings when they needed to choose a king. And they were the ones who made laws. So the Council of Elders suggested laws and the assembly voted on. Okay. Now, this sounds like kind of a pseudo-democracy, 
right? Uh, there's, there's democratic yeah. elements. That's okay, yeah. right? This includes women in the assembly, which right. needs to be pointed out in Athens at this time, women were not citizens. Women couldn't vote. Women socially weren't even allowed to leave their house without their husband or their brother with them. Right. Uh, whereas Sparta gave women essentially political equality to men. Uh, 30% of the land in Sparta was owned by women. Mm-hmm. So this, this sounds like freaking progressive as fuck, right? Right. Yeah, well, except no. Because, because there's a whole other layer under that. Because because, <laughs> because because there's there's a whole other whole whole other layer of this. The, the part I said about citizens. Right. Within Spartan territory, the majority of residents weren't Spartiates. They were Halots. Right. And and that is to say they were slaves. Expendable slaves, too, not valued slaves. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, and and so um, I, I linked in my notes to the Oxford Clas- Classical Dictionary article on halots. Um, so the thing is, uh, the the ancestors of the people who became the Spartans conquered their territory in Laconia, and they forced the people who were already there into servitude. Mm-hmm. Every year, when the ephors took office mm-hmm. they ritually declared war on the helots right so the so the spartans were in a state of constant war against their own slave population the helots if i recall correctly the helots and if i'm stepping on your toes mm, tell yeah, me uh yeah. if i recall correctly they were essentially not just slaves but like surf slaves they were not mobile slaves because they were the people who occupied what was that place called it was um laconia um, yeah yeah uh yeah. They the, occupied... the territory of sparta laconia the yeah. countryside around sparta right then they occupied that territory prior to the spartans really springing up so it's kind of yes. like these guys were here when we got here we've taken over now yeah we're so in they're, charge yeah they they are they are a piece of the scenery on oh, yeah. some levels and they're like oh, yeah. i i think if i recall correctly they were like the ultra slaves like the, yeah. the double plus the, maximum slaves yeah yeah the the treatment of the helots by the spartiates mm-hmm. or the spartans was was something that other greeks that the city the other city states of greece the people of the other city states of ancient greece right like noted it as being especially cruel and dominating right. And it was it was it was like they weren't even valued as chattel. They were like the training posts. Oh yes, you actually, know? because yeah. here's the thing. So so the the helots outnumbered the Spartans by a a huge number, mm-hmm. and at several points over the course of Sparta's history, there were helot revolts that, in some cases, took decades to completely squash. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, when, when, uh, uh, so, so the Spartans were surrounded by their own slave population. And so whatever militarist leanings, the ancestors of the Spartans had had, the Spartans became a fully militarized state. Mm-hmm. If you were born male in Sparta, you would be taken from your mother at age seven and sent 
to living in a barracks and being trained for military service. This training was physically and, and psychologically harsh. Um, discipline was prized above everything else. Physical mm-hmm. courage was prized above everything else. And boys being beaten to death in the course of their training was not uncommon. Right. So it was, it was it ridiculous to, to the standards of the ancient world. It was ridiculously harsh. Yeah. You know, and these the, were the ones that were not exposed. Yes. At birth. Yeah. You know, yeah. For imagine defect. Uh, yeah. Um, girls got mm-hmm. trained in wrestling and basic hand to hand combat. They learned how to handle a, a shield and a spear. Right. Um, and at the age of 18, a Spartan girl, in order to become a Spartan woman and hold on to her citizenship, had to pass essentially a martial arts belt exam. Right. Because if the men are away fighting and we have a slave revolt, you're going to have to step in there and start murdering them. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Equality. See? Yeah. I've already mentioned that the A4s declared war on the Halots every year as part of their swearing in. Mm-hmm. So they were in a constant state of war against their own slave class. Mm-hmm. And when a boy got to the age of 18, assuming he survived long enough to get to the age of 18 during his military training, he would go out into the wilderness for the cryptea. Mm-hmm. Now mention the cryptea back at, back at the beginning of talking about the comic 300 it's, it's used as a storytelling device, you know, relating this made up story from Leonidas's time in the cryptea. Now the way the curriculum for California describes the cryptea mm-hmm. is that Spartan boys were sent out into the wilderness to survive for a year in the wilderness and they had to you know show their toughness and their resourcefulness and survive and come home yeah Yeah, it sounds sounds like you know harsh boy scout stuff here's the thing it's not just surviving in the wilderness the sources that talk about the wilderness mean the countryside outside the walls of sparta Right, which is to say, in the territory occupied by the Halots. Yeah, the expectation talk- was you were going to sneak around and steal your food mm-hmm. from the Halots. Yeah, you were not allowed to get caught. Mm-hmm. But if you got caught, it didn't count as getting caught if you murdered the Halot who or Halots who caught you right and that served a double purpose mm-hmm. it prepared spartan boys to be killers remorseless no hesitation killers yeah. right and it provided a constant source of terrorization for the subject halot population and they knew that it was cryptea season like yeah you could tell. Like, yeah. Shit. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just don't just tell you what, leave, leave a sack of grain outside and just yeah. leave it there and don't go out after. Oh dark. no, I'm not looking over there. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to very conspicuously not look that way. And I'm hustling into the house. You know, like, I, a thing that, you know, we, again, you can tell a lie by using the truth. Um, in our curriculum, uh, it says they go out to live in the wilderness. 
the implication is that the wilderness is similar to what we know as the wilderness. So yes, it's yeah. tough because it's out there, you know, for a year, but we also have helicopters. We have laws, we have zoning, we have all these criteria and all these, <laughs> all of these things yeah. that exist. Yeah. Whereas living in the wilderness zoning in the middle of that. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, well, cause yeah. it does matter, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, this is no, a preserve, I, you know, and yeah, shit like I, that. I, I know it's, we got, you know, hunting licenses and all kinds of stuff. We've yeah. got, you know, a even even our wilderness is managed here. Yeah. And so the students are left to think along those sanitized lines when, in fact, the cryptea is, is no, you have to you're from Boston. OK, you have to go survive in New York without letting any New Yorkers see you. And you're going to kill the fucker if they do. Yeah. Good luck. See if you can so, find some pizza. So what we're saying is it's being a Red Sox fan. Yeah. In in New York. Okay. Sure. Sure. Got it. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so the Spurgeon class were no shit. Slave plantations owners, slave plantation owners who lived in constant existential fear of their slaves rising in revolt. Does this yeah. sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. With, with also, back back closer to the the uh urban center um you've got a form of a republic yeah you have a slave republic huh what a peculiar institution what a (laughs) (laughs) nice choice of language i like that vmi anyone (laughs) anyone the citadel anybody anybody yeah second amendment anybody so uh and and I think um, part of the sanitized image that we get of the Spartans comes from the fact that um, so much of the sources that are used in the history books that we use now, mm-hmm. the sources that our history books now use were books that were written in the 19th century. Okay. Yeah. And in the 19th century, the idea of a conquering class maintaining control over territory through military force and having a group of people that they had doing the work for them mm-hmm. was something that on a subconscious or conscious level, the Europeans who wrote those histories looked at it and went, well, okay, that's like us in India. That's like us all over the continent of Africa. Okay. Okay. And Go so a little the, further with this, because I've well, got something so, I want to push back. So with. the so the so the ugliest parts of it got kind of you know soft pedaled. The idea that well, no, you're going to go out and murder any any helot you see, right? You know, gets soft pedaled in those sources. Okay. It's, it's kind of gets you know a little bit a little bit of Vaseline on the camera because I'm, well, I'm gonna, not going to talk about that. But but what? the British empire did in India, what the Spanish did in the Americas, what everybody had done over the course of the imperialist period of, of world history was made, made the Spartans look enough like the cultures that those historians came from that the ugliest parts of that story, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to fudge that because it was a different time. And like, so we get this picture transmitted to the people who wrote our textbooks as Mm -hmm. well, you know, it was this militaristic, but basically 
pseudo democratic republic. You know, because so, because um, I know because I know when I got taught about the Spartans, mm-hmm. I didn't learn about the existence of the Helots right until I was an adult. The fact that the sixth grade curriculum I'm using now even mentions the Helots is a step is up. is a is a step yeah. toward factual hist- historicity. All right, so here yeah. I want to I want to push back a little bit because I okay. think that there is another part to this that either you're about to address I'm stealing thunder again or um that I think deserves a look. Um so yes, all of those things about the Spartans but let's soften it because uh, all our kids are going to grow up to do that anyway. Yeah. Um and and you can't sell them on being that brutal until you're there. Uh and you've got Scotsman as as the, you know, non-commissioned officers helping you to do that. Uh, hey. <laughs> <Wait> um, <laughs> so <laughs> I mean I'd think it was a dig, but we're 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 both, you know, yeah. Of the anyway, yeah. yeah. So 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 you've got that, but at the same time you also have this other aspect, the Athenians. And we go yes. back to what you said, how the Athenians and the Spartans are seen as I'm not going to say two sides of the same coin. I'm going to say as these are the two poles in which the polises even um, in which democracy was allowed to grow. You had to have the despotic. It is a pseudo republic. But yes, there's these ugly things that they do. But then you've got these other people who sit around and think all the time. You've got Mars and you've got Athena. You've got two different gods of war and the idea that Jesus white British Jesus and then white American (laughs) Jesus meant for democracy to flourish. That was his gift to us 1800 years prior. Uh, And therefore we're seeing the development from, you know, clearly Sparta is the more badass. And when I was a kid, I played with young things and, and then I had to put that away and become a man and learn diplomacy. Okay. Go from the fighty fighty to the thinky thinky. And now a good English gentleman it always wants to think, yes, we can do war if needs be, but ultimately the goal is democracy and Americans absolutely jumped on that shit. Um, And we just got out of it with both feet. Yeah. And we just gotten out of a civil war where the fighty fighty really fucking hurts. So let's really work on cultivating this idea of democracy. And you start to have history as a course of study in the 1870s in America. And so this idea of linear history of, First came this, then came that. And that's a natural progression. And the world we live in was predestined. Right. And now because this is this is the best of all possible worlds. Linear history. It was always meant to happen. Yeah. And now we have democracy and look at what we came from. We even can see its roots all the way back then. And now it's better because we've learned the right lessons from the right people. See, yeah, the, upward, the upward arc of civilization exactly so i think that that's that's that approach that is, is a is that, is a, that. F- that is a facet that i didn't have in my notes but i think okay. you're right i think you're on the money i mm-hmm. mean being in the middle of teaching this unit right now mm-hmm. um i think the the other thing that's interesting is um anybody who knows ancient greek history uh mm-hmm. knows that spoilers for anybody who doesn't um, the Athenians and the Spartans eventually wound up fighting the Peloponnesian War, right? And and the Spartans actually won. Yes, and 
what's interesting is all of the historical sources paint the Athenians as the wronged heroes there. Uh-huh. Because like, democracy like, should because, always win. Because democracy should have always won. Uh, what's interesting, of course, is if you really wanted to try to go that route, you could point out how the Athenians became an imperialist power. You know, yeah, there's that. But but that's but that's too much nuance. So we're just going to say they were this you know tragic heroic set of figures, and mm-hmm. you know, and they got they got beaten by the you know crude barbaric Spartans, who actually were pretty keen diplomats themselves as time went on but anyway too much nuance to include there so back back to the to the points i'm trying to make about about the spartan society Mm -hmm. so they're they're this they're this militaristic slave-owning society um and the the spartan the 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 spartan culture became centered around these virtues that that you would expect to see as being the cardinal virtues of a culture that lives in this circumstance to be a spartan Mm -hmm. uh male or female really meant you had to have toughness physical and mental toughness um Mm -hmm. you you had to be um very uh, stoic in the kind of toxic masculine sense of stoic. Uh, I just don't feel shit. I don't right. show my feelings. Right. Um, there was this idea of um, you, you, they, they didn't teach their, their boys to read and write and think the way the Athenians did, but they did value the virtue of wit Okay. And there are a whole bunch of examples of laconic wit. And by the way, laconic comes from laconia. Right. So we get this, this, this is, if you say that somebody has a laconic wit, you are literally comparing them to a Spartan. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of, one of the most classical examples, I've got a couple from, from the, the myth of, of Thermopylae. Oh, I know this one, but, yeah. but there's, but there's actually my favorite one is actually long after Thermopylae. It's when uh, Philip of Macedon mm-hmm. was becoming a power after the Peloponnesian War, and the Macedonians were starting to conquer Greece. Uh, Philip of Macedon sent a message to the Spartans, and he said, um, if I invade Laconia, you will be destroyed, never to rise again. And the Spartans sent a one-word answer to him. If. <laughs> And that was that was the that was their whole response, and right. and you know, and, and there's and there's volumes in that. If it was just, yeah. it was it was one big middle finger, like right. you know, that's um, better than nuts. Yeah, just I don't know. I kind of like I, I like nuts. Uh, nuts too, is but, scrappy and yeah, like homespun Cracker Barrel. Yeah, but if is just so much like number one is two letters shorter. Yeah. Uh, and number two, it's like, <laughs> which the Spartans would have valued. Right. Um, and, and, and it has that unsmiling humor. Yeah. Which is laconic wit. Yeah. You know? It, it, and, and, and it cuts like a, like a short sword to the, to the solar plexus. Like, oh, right. no, I'm, I, I, whatever. So they also obviously valued physical courage. Sure. Uh, rigorous self discipline. Mm hmm. And, and they had this weird kind of obsessive demonstrative frugality. 
um they they were the ruling class of of their society yeah they 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 had all of this wealth that was generated by a slave population but like one of the marks of truly being like if you were going to be a man's man amongst your colleagues in sparta Mm -hmm. when you when you finished your um you would come back and you would be given the the red cloak of a spartan warrior right and if you were really a real spartan you would wear that cloak until it literally could not be worn anymore yeah and and it was a mark of admiration if you were 40 or 50 and your cloak was beat to shit and so there there was this idea of frugality which I think is tied or was tied in their own self-image to the discipline. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly, one of the things that they would do is they would force halots to become inebriated uh, as a, as a kind of ritualized demonstration within the, essentially the mess hall that all of Mm -hmm. the, all of the men of Sparta would, would gather and eat in. They would, they would, essentially force the halots to become drunk which they then used against the halots culturally as well you know that you can't count on the halots look, look at them they're always they're always drunk they're intemperate they don't have any self-control right which they compared to their own self-control and that frugality would then be part of that and again, I want to point out, they made these halots drunk as part of this ritualized thing, right? which they then turned around and used against them as a cultural stereotype. Fucking must have sucked to be a halot, man. Yeah, it's no shit. So, so let me ask you this. Um, I okay. know that in Athens, they had a, a type of taxation wherein yes. if you were really, really rich. Yeah you picked the richest taxation thing you could do. And it's is yeah. essentially, it wasn't taxation. It was private citizens showing off how much they had by how much cool shit they did for society. Yeah. Public and, works, building, building public works, with right. Private money, putting on theatrical performances, sponsoring so arts. If you wanted people to see how rich you were, you built the coolest shit. And if you mm-hmm. wanted to keep your wealth, you fucking hit it. And you dressed like you were poor, which gets to that. The Athenian version of the Spartan tattered. Yeah. 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 Is like, uh, yeah. You know, I'm not going to show off my wealth. If I show off my wealth, I better have something to show for it Mm -hmm. for everyone to use. Uh, It's an interesting, weird kind of twist on, I think, the same. Yeah, it really does. Similar kind of idea going on there. And, And again, I mean, they're they're both. They they shared a they they shared a language they shared a, did they though a pantheon of gods a language I mean, did they, yeah I mean Attic, yeah. Attic and Greek versus uh, Koinic Greek well I mean they could talk to each other okay well I so, mean Romans and know. Greeks could talk to each other too because they knew each other's languages so yeah, I'm well, just and well, Roman but, in Rome versus Roman in the countryside was I mean there's a lot yeah. of like mutual unintelligibility it's just everybody had each other's <clears throat> pigeons as well well yeah okay so, yeah th- th- i, 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 get, what I get what you're saying, saying but, though like but, there's there is know, a uh there's there's an underlying commonality of yes of, 
subconscious cultural shared ideas. And that brings me to the question I was going to ask yeah. is that, is that just an Occidental Mediterranean thing? Could because be. if you go east of that, well, and again, we're always reading uh, Greek and Roman historians about the east and how opulent they are. So grain of salt, salt lick with that one. But well, yeah, but like the values that the Romans and the Greeks seem to have was a layer of frugality and the simplicity of the countryside. You do not show off your wealth unless you are also doing a shit ton of patronage for people. So don't get me wrong. You know, Rome had well after augustus rome had a lot of rich people showing off how rich they were yeah but it was also like the aqua martia is named for mars by the guy who built it because he'd already built the appian way yeah named after him you know and like so <laughs> yeah like you yeah. you built shit for the people all the time in rome and Roman satire valued frugality, valued countrysideness, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. And and you're we're clearly seeing this in Greek uh, culture as well, Spartan and Athenian. And I, I still would even push back a little bit as to what Greek means when they're not yeah. being attacked by a group and they all have to band together, or they're not yeah. attacking a group where they have to band together. But yeah. Spartan and Athenian culture did share that commonality, like you said. Yeah. Um, of of frugality. And I'm wondering if that's just if that's particularly Greek or if that's a, a Occidental Mediterranean thing. I think I think if you go far enough back, you would probably find that before the and I'm forgetting the, the term of it, but the because the right now we're talking about the Hellenes. Mm-hmm. I think if you were to go far enough back to the Achaeans. Mm-hmm. The Achaeans. The, anyway, the, the uh, I mean that is a house of, of Atreus. Okay, yeah. Uh and, and the and the proto-Greeks. Right. Um, if you if you were because I culturally the the all the peoples of the Peloponnesus and, and, and the Greek mm-hmm. like Isthmus were descended from essentially the Achaeans. Mm-hmm. Or or had or had that somewhere in their ancestry and their roots. And right. I think it probably, if we were to go back, we'd probably find it there. Okay, is going to be my guess. Because you know the the criti- the critique that all of these, and I'm going to say Greeks because they did unite as Greeks. Yeah. To go attack Troy, the critique of Troy was how opulent and wealthy it was mm-hmm. and how rich it was. Yeah. A, deci- a decidedly not Greek thing. Yeah, and then they stopped being Greeks as soon as they'd won, and they just scattered back to being their own city <laughs> yeah, states. They, they went, they went back to their petty kingdoms, and right, yeah. yeah. So, um, I think, yeah, anyway. I, 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 I think there is that dichotomy there, and mm-hmm. I think it is, it is one of them is a very Athenian take on that idea. One of them is a very Spartan, blunt. We're not going to have this additional twist of like, if you're going to spend all this money, then have something to show for it. It's just going to be, no, no, you just don't spend the money. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, we're just, you're, you're going to, you're going to look like, you know, like your clothes are about to fall off your back because you're not going to go spend the money to buy more. Right. Um, and, and I think the Spartan emphasis for it again is on self-discipline. Mm-hmm. The virtue is having the self-control that like, no, I don't need a new tunic. This one covers me just fine. 
but also it's a bit of a show off but also it's a show off it's a flex yeah yeah it's it's a flex yeah Yeah. um and so i i think based on kind of how long we've gone on this this is probably a place where i'm going to pause there's there's more that i want to talk about about you know the what what spartan society actually looked like as opposed to what uh and we can get into kind of how this shows up in 300 yeah um and and kind of where where the picture gets warped mm-hmm. and and what the agenda is behind that um but i think that's that's kind of where we can go with the next episode and then like to it. actually talk about the battle itself and how like miller gets everything fucking wrong um but but based on stopping here sure what do you think what where where are you with this well, you know, it does make sense that he's American now that I think about it, because he's writing in 1998 at a time where America was fracturing. Mm-hmm. You had the contract with America in 94. You know, you you had the the effete uh, urbans uh, versus the down home countries. Um, right. And you start to have that really starting to open up in 98 um, as a fisher. Uh, and I think that you have um, with Miller, it, with with him taking a look at Sparta specifically, like he's kind of siding with, you know, you can see what side of the culture war he's falling down on. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, he's writing about a people as though they were monolithic and heroic, uh, which absolutely gets to honestly, on some levels, the lost cause. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, walking on that southern uh borderlander mentality of yeah. like ruggedness and manliness and, yeah. and that ma- masculinity being the only thing so it does make a lot of sense that he's american and not british now that now that we've gotten this far i would have guessed that he was american whereas previously i i thought he was british but i think it's because again i mixed him up with alan moore so miller yeah. miller moore i'm just like yeah Fuck. um <laughs> so uh but oh, yeah goodness. that's that's where i'm at this this absolutely does seem like it fits in 1998 now that you've described all the things you have about sparta yeah why that would be a subject of study for him yeah uh, well maybe not study but a subject for his art uh, yeah that makes a lot of sense um so yeah i'm interested in seeing uh where this goes from there so well, cool uh i i i can guess at what you're going to recommend to people uh but what you're reading well, what I'm what I'm reading right now is mm-hmm. uh, a study in American fascism, and unfortunately, I don't have the author's name in front of me. Um, and I feel really badly about it. We're going to be interviewing here coming up here soon. Oh yeah, and I'm <laughs> I'm completely drawing a blank because I had the notes on my phone, and then my phone shut down, and now I can't find them. Oh. And I feel really bad because it's a great book. Well, um, while you're looking for that, I'll tell you what I'm reading. Okay. I'll give you a chance to look for that. Okay. Uh, I'm reading uh, Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet oh. Jacobs, who okay. was writing as Linda Brent. Um, and it is so, you know, if you've read your Frederick Douglass, um, it's a really, really good account. It's a very, it's usually the seminal work. You know, it's, it's the one that you read when you want to read what somebody who lived through slavery lived through. Um, I like this one because it's uh, obviously taken from a woman's perspective and you're going to see a very different thing and she's going to get received very differently by her audience at that time. Um, And it is, um, well, it's really painful. Uh, It it hurts to read uh, because of how fucking brutal it is. 
Yeah. Uh, so um, I strongly recommend it, uh, especially to anybody living in Florida. Uh, read it while you can. Um, mm. And uh, it's it's a really good it's 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 a really good accounting. Um, it's only a couple hundred pages long because uh, mm. it was a uh, it was a book written, I believe, in the late 1800s. Um, I'm looking right now. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say it was written in the late 1800s. Uh, the first time okay. it, was, uh, it was written. Um, it might be early 1900s because a lot of people who survived slavery um, lived into the 20th century. Yes. Uh, but oh yeah, it was 1861. I was right. Okay. So well, okay. There as the fucking war is happening. Um, right. Yeah. And it was yeah published Timely. out of Boston. So yeah, that's well, what I'm going to yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm going to recommend. Okay. Uh, so you're so recommending now, what what yeah what I am recommending is American fascism, how the GOP is subverting 250 years of democracy, by Bryn Tannehill, is the author. And here's the thing: as I'm as I'm reading through the book, what I'm what I'm finding is there's an awful lot of stuff that I'm reading. I'm going, well, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that, and we've talked about that as part of the context of this thing on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But what what she is doing a remarkably good job of doing, or what she does a remarkably good job of doing in the book, um, I is believe. By the way, tying, I believe it's they, they. Oh, they. oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So my apologies. my bad. Yes. Yeah. What what they do very well in the book is they uh, uh, tie all of these points together mm-hmm. in in a way that you may have known about the individual events and you have lived through the corrosive impact of those events. Mm-hmm. But the way the book is written takes the Sharpie and draws the line connecting them all. Yes. In a way that makes it like, you know, I saw that, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I saw that, but I didn't, I didn't like see that right until now. Yeah. And I need another beer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I was going to say, I've also been reading it and, uh, you know, you stole my rec for next week, but oh, uh, that's fine. My I bad. love that we're both reading it. Uh, it'll be make for a much better episode. Um, but uh, I, I also was reading it and I, I just kept going like, well, this shit's bleak. <laughs> like. <laughs> I got to a part where it's like the only thing that's ever fixed this kind of shit is a plague. I'm like, fuck. Like, God damn it. And then I look around. I'm like, wait, we're having one. But we're Why talking isn't like, any of this getting better? Well, because the plague that they're talking about is much more like the Black Death. And I'm like, oh, yeah. no. That's... Yeah, our, our lethality rate isn't high enough. Right. And And what's awful about that is obviously lethality rate shouldn't have to be that low but also that the oligarchs are largely untouched by it and it has to kill off uh the ruled classes instead in huge numbers for anything to change i'm like oh man <laughs> so i'm hoping yeah. that there might be some i don't know you might be further along than i i'm hoping no that i, might I be think some... you're, you're further along than i am oh. i i got i got a couple of chapters into it and then i had okay. to put it down okay yeah i've, and, I've got finals away for a while so. yeah and and then i had to pick it back up and kind of go back because <laughs> yeah. it had been too long so i'm, I'm kind of restarting gotcha. from the beginning but yeah okay, cool. but yeah no it's it's a it's a truly powerful yeah. um spotlight yeah they did I a good think. job yeah they 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 yeah. did a remarkable job uh and so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to interviewing them cool 
because of that. So that's 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 going to be my recommendation here. All right, cool. Give us the title again one more time. Uh, that would be waiting for my phone to reload again. American fascism: How the GOP is subverting 250 years of democracy. There we go. All right, uh, where can people find you on the social medias? I can be found on the social medias as E.H. Blaylock on Twitter and as Mr. Blaylock on the Tiki Talk and also as Mr. Blaylock on Instagram. Where can you be found? Uh, you can find me at Duh Harmony on Insta and Twitter. Uh, those are the good places to find me. Uh, and uh, that that should be enough. I'm on this podcast enough, so yeah, yeah you can find me on both of those. I just lurk go. on TikTok. I don't actually make anything. I just like looking at other content. Uh, yeah, so. uh, pretty much the same here. But I've made a couple of couple of videos. So corporately, where can so, they find us? Uh, corporately, we can be found at Geek History Time on Twitter mm-hmm. and online at geekhistoryoftime.com. There you go. And also, of course, if you're listening to us right now, uh, then you have found us either on Twitch, Spotify, or the Apple Podcast application. Uh, Stitcher. Stitcher. Sorry. 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 My bad. Uh, Stitcher, Spotify, or the Apple Podcast app. Uh, wherever, however it is you found us, please go in, uh, like, subscribe, and give us the five stars that you know we for trenchant commentary on yeah. the Battle of Thermopylae. Yes, please. You know. Uh, so there we go. Cool. All right. Well, for, all bases. for a geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, Molon LaBay. <laughs> <laughs>